Welcome to the Well Fuel Podcast, your spot for everything gut health, detox, hormones, a healthy home, mold, and everything in between. I'm your host, Isabel Smith. I'm an integrative and functional registered dietitian and the founder of Isabel Smith Nutrition. This is part one of my conversation with Dr. Elena Ivanina, where we were discussing all things fungus, candida, and SIBO. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Well Fuel Podcast. I am so elated to have my friend and colleague and Instagram buddy over the years, Dr. Elena Ivanina, on um, talking to us today with us about fungus and anything else that might come up. Um, there's been a lot of like GI bug resistance and just bacterial and fungal overgrowth that I've been finding more difficult. And we've been finding, you know, as a community practitioners more difficult to treat. And so, you know, that's the topic of conversation, but I can guarantee you there's going to be some more nuggets. So um, Dr. Elena Ivanina um, is a doctor of osteopathic medicine and also has her master's in public health. And she is the director of neurogastroenterology and motility um, at Lenox Hill Hospital of Northwell Health. Um, she's always wanted to pursue a more holistic approach to healing and therefore chose to attend the osteopathic medical school, NICOM, for her medical training. Afterwards, she did her internal medicine training in New York City, followed by further training in preventative medicine and public health at the New York City Department of Health, where she received a grant from the American Cancer Society and received her master's in public health from Columbia. She then pursued a fellowship in gastroenterology at Lenox Hill of Northwell Health and afterwards stayed on to be the director of neurogastroenterology gastroenterology, that's one, and motility. She's the curator of gutlove.com and is most excitingly starting the Center for Integrative Gut Health in New York City and Greenwich, Connecticut this summer. Welcome, Elena. So happy to have you. Thank you. I am so excited to be here chatting with you. So fun. You and I became Instagram friends um, a while back. And then what was funny was um, Rob Graham, Dr. Rob Graham, a favorite friend, he was like, you and Elena really need to get to know each other. And I was like, I think I already know her like through Instagram, but I don't really know her. And so then I sort of like stalked you and we became friends. And so here we are. <laughs> it was a great connection. Um, Thanks, Rob. <laughs> so um, I always like to ask this question, especially for people like you who really are cutting edge and the way that you think about, you know, gut health and the microbiome and work with patients and clients, how did you get to doing what you're doing? Um, how'd you get here? Sure. So it's a great question. So I think a lot of it comes from my own upbringing. Um, you know, that's kind of where the seed was planted about your body being able to heal itself and, mm -hmm. you know, really focusing on food as medicine. You know, my family immigrated from Russia. They weren't big fans of doctors. Um, and, you know, when we came here, my mom had some health problems. She chose to uh, treat them in a healthy, you know, natural way um, and avoided surgery, actually, and did really well. And I was with her, you know, for this entire journey. And it was very, you know, eye opening for me um, that there just seemed to be a void in you know, doctors sometimes being a little black and white about things, yeah. right? There's either surgery or there's no surgery. And what what else is there, right? And so as I went through my own medical training, I basically found the same thing within gastroenterology, right? Like there's a very black and white, okay, there's cancer, there's no cancer, mm -hmm. um, or there's IBD, there's no IBD. But everything else, like the IBS, it's just right. a huge void. It, and right. it, and that's, to me, not just the diagnostic part of it, but then also how to treat it 
the whole thing there it's just not developed in gi and especially without any attention to or i should say little attention to diet and to avoiding you know that kind of reflex pill popping, right? Reflex PPIs. So that's where it came from. I just saw a need for for a f- to dig deeper into understanding GI issues, especially with everything that we're learning about the microbiome, microbiome and virome and and treating them in a more integrative way. Amazing. And so what kind of work, I know the answer, but I want everybody who's listening to know, what kind of work do you do with patients on a regular basis? Like what are you doing every day? Sure. So I have a mix. Um, I see patients in the office and do consultations where, you know, provide blood tests, stool tests, breath tests. I do a lot of SIBO testing, of course, especially now testing for hydrogen sulfide SIBO. So do a lot of thorough testing. And then the other time I actually spend uh, doing endoscopy and colonoscopy. And so as you know, you know, I'm really interested in, again, understanding a little bit deeper into the, you know, endoscopy diagnostics, you know, aspect of it. I do aspirations for microbiome, microbiome to look at difficult to treat SIBO and, and diagnosing SIFO. And then also mast cells and, you know, H. pylori culture. So really trying to do that root cause deep dive through not just testing in the office and, you know, things like that, but also through endoscopy. Amazing. And you and I had like a little offline chat about H. pylori and new stool testing. And I actually, I think it's like a super, um, we'll just throw in a little nugget in here about that because I find often that, you know, PCR testing, GI map and other that that I offer and that we offer often finds H. pylori and, you know, some more conventional testing doesn't. And then there's some pushback and how do we treat this? And is this real? You know, what what are you seeing about that? What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there are no perfect tests. So, for example, when there are – so when I look for H. pylori, like on biopsy, um, you know, because usually, obviously, if there's H. pylori on biopsy, there's no false positives there, right? That's that's real. But H. pylori is also in a very tiny part of the stomach sometimes, right? It's not like it's everywhere. And so a lot of the times, like the and you'll ask most doctors, okay, like does this patient have H. pylori? They have gastritis. They have intestinal metaplasia. They have so many symptoms. Um, oh no, the biopsies were negative. Well, you, you can't stop there because you just mm-hmm. biopsy these little tiny parts of the GI tract and there's so much more. So, you know, so again, there are other tests that you need to supplement conventional tests with. And I think that GI map is a really great up and coming test that does exactly that. And I've had patients who have had multiple uh, conventional tests not showing H. pylori, then they get the, you know, the GI map, which is a PCR test of H. pylori, which, as I had mentioned, even now one of the newest tests from Mayo Clinic is a stool PCR for H. pylori with uh, resistance. So, you know, this, it's new. And a lot of people are not you know, are not looking to be comfortable right away with something new. So that's why a lot of people kind of resist, resist the answers, but there's real, there's something there. There, there is real meaty info there that people need to pay attention to. Yeah. And and I think, um, as I always say, thank you for that. I think, as I always say, you know, trust your intuition, you have to trust your practitioner, you know, never hurts to get a second opinion, you know, continue to seek if you don't feel well, you know, continue to work on. And I do think all of this is evolving, especially with this, um, you know, functional, integrative, more in-depth testing. There's so much that's new and up and coming. And some of it's not quite as clinically, you know, you know, 
thought about as other types of tests, but I think more data is more data, right? And I think we gather the data and we look at all the data and we look at the patient and we assess, you know, what the patient's experiencing and we make our decisions, right? Um, well, the, the reason actually that Rob Graham had suggested that I connect with you is because we, at that time, we're trying to figure out what the heck was going on in my body. And he was like, you might need like an aspiration for CFO. And Dr. Elena does that. So you might need to see her. We then figured out I had Lyme disease. And so here we are, but, um, let's talk about fungus. So, um, there've been a lot of headlines about fungus and I've had a lot of nervous patients texting and emailing being like, is this what I have? You know, this horribly resistant fungus on the cover of the New York Times. And I'm like, no, that's not what we're talking about. But fungus is a natural, normal part of the microbiome, right? Like every other part of the bacterial profile that, you know, so we have a lot of stuff in our gut. But when does it start to become a problem? What have you been seeing with these fungal infections of late? Yeah. I, I love talking about the microbiome because nobody talks about it. And nobody talks about Candida. Again, in traditional GI, no one talks about it, right? So, and I, I think it is important to think about, you know, um, the microbiome is 0.1% of the entire microbiome. So there, there are definitely a lot more bacteria and that's why it's focused on, but there's also viruses and then the microbiome. And the microbiome has the same development as the microbiome. Like you are born with a certain one. When you change the solid foods, it changes to like Saccharomyces, you know, dominant. And you go through these changes in life, changing your microbiome depending on what happens, right? And I will tell you that, you know, what I see um, more than anything probably right now are antibiotic caused disruptions, right, in um, microbiome homeostasis causing candida overgrowth, COVID, right, COVID mm -hmm. causing it. Um, PPIs causing it, and you know, decreased immune function, right? And so, decreased immune function can, of course, that could be, of, you know, something like HIV, but it can also be from alcohol and from stress, right? right. right? Yes. So there are so many things that are really prevalent in our lives these days that can cause this dysfunction in our microbiomes, and then it's really tough to diagnose. Um, you know, everyone's looking at something else, calling it IBS. And then finally they find someone like you who, you know, can talk about things other than, you know, this nebulous IBS, you know, idea and, yeah. and get some real treatment. And, and when we talk about microbiome, just so everybody, I'm sure you guys have picked up, like we're talking about fungus here. Yeah. Um, when we talk about microbiome and point one sounds really tiny, right? But these guys are powerful. Powerful, powerful. Uh -huh. Like they actually, I mean, they're very intricately involved in even controlling your microbiome, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're not just kind of doing their own thing, but they're actually, their byproducts and what they make will also affect your microbiome. So they're tiny, but powerful. And they, they really work together like biofilms, like a lot of biofilms that we talk about have candida as well as the regular bugs in them. And for people listening, wondering what biofilms are, it's sort of like the waste product I like to think about, the microbiome, like what it's giving off, the bacteria. You might have a different, is there a better way that I can describe that to people? So it's it's a really, again, one of the emerging subjects and definitely, you know, I agree. I think that, so first there's normal biofilms. So biofilms can be like absolutely normal part of your GI tract, your vagina, your skin. There mm -hmm. are biofilms, but then there's disrupted 
biofilms. And that's their colonies. They are, they produce this kind of like mucus. So they're like enveloped in this shell, right? Kind of like the byproducts you were yeah. talking about. And then it makes them really resistant to treatment, right? And tough to treat. And that's why, and I say this to people all the time, you could be on the same dose of something, whether it be biocidin or oregano or whatever we're treating you with, yeah. and it, nothing would have changed. And then suddenly you're more symptomatic while well, we probably broke through one of those pockets of yeah. biofilm and opened up more infection. Um, yeah. So when we're thinking about, you know, how powerful these little fungi bugs are, fungus bugs, is it all candida or is it like various species of fungus? Like what, what's going on there? Yeah. So, so candida, definitely candida overgrowth is the biggest disruptor. There's no question. And in all of the research, there's, again, very, very little known by most gastroenterologists, but there's a textbook written by Satish Rao, who's one of the most famous gastroenterologists. And there's actually a chapter on SIBO and CIFO. And in CIFO, you know, as has been my, you know, uh, experience, yeah, the, the most commonly overgrown bug in CIFO is candida. And candida is, you know, so for example, like Saccharomyces is definitely not seen as an overgrown bug. There are some very, the type of candida can change. There, you know, there's candida albicans, of course, but then there are lesser known forms and they can grow. But I would say, you know, it's kind of like number one, two, and three bad apple, you know, fungus is usually candida overgrowth in the gut. And I've been finding, thank you for that, super helpful. And I've been finding that. By the time we actually see it show up on a stool test or somewhere else, there's probably a pretty decent amount of overgrowth or imbalance going on. I know at least in my case, by the yeah. time it actually showed up, I think mine was Candida rhodorula or something like that was mm -hmm. that guy mm -hmm. was in Albicans. I was, I, I had a serious fungal situation going on. I'd had like, you know, multiple you know, sort of semi-positive pap smears that were like eh, a little bit of fungus, but like, Isabella, are you having symptoms? The answer is no. But, mm -hmm. you know, I was so allergic and having so much histamine intolerance at the time mm -hmm. that by the time it showed up, I, I was really symptomatic by the time it showed up in stool. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been thinking about this bacterial fungal imbalance thing and how they play together or don't in, in before I'm seeing it show up on people's tests, stool tests, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I feel like by the time it shows up, it's a pretty decent amount. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that's where, you know, as I'm sure, you know, again, we have a little more time with our patients to yeah. really talk to them about yeah. what they've been through and what their high risk exposures are, right? Whereas usually it's kind of like, okay, like what hurts there? Okay, here, you know, like take this or, you know, whatever it is. But yeah, I think you're totally right in that in that there, um, you know, if you really sit and talk to somebody and again, then you understand, oh, you've been on antibiotics for chronic ear infections from age five to 11. And then for UTIs from age 16 to 24, you know, it, like it's, I mean, then it becomes pretty clear as, as you said, that you can really understand things before they pop up as like red, like alerts on a stool test. Totally. And when you think of like high risk exposures. What do you think? What what to you counts as a high risk exposure to for a candida overgrowth? Yeah. 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 So I, I think, you know, the things that I mentioned before are definitely the biggest players. So alcohol, alcohol 
antibiotics. Antibiotics for me are are usually one, two, and three because it's like there's you know they're like giving away like candy, right? With like no second guessing um, of if they're really needed, if it's really bacteria, whatever the question is, right? So so antibiotics, alcohol, and anything else that lowers your immune system, like major stress events, um, PPIs definitely, and another huge one, dysmotility, mm. right? Stasis. Your mm-hmm. gut is not moving. Things are not moving forward. That is like pure breeding ground for candida. And then, of course, as part of like the decreased immune system and also the idea of like what candida eat, which are usually carbs and sugar, right, is mm-hmm. like diabetes, metabolic imbalance, right, um, insulin uh, resistance. Which we're okay. seeing so much of also at this moment in time. The insulin okay. resistance thing is huge. And then we add you add in the fungal piece to the insulin resistant, right? And we become, it's like this tennis court of like, you know, the ball keeps getting hit back and forth, which is which. Um, You know, I had literally had this conversation with a client this morning about his alcohol intake, right? He's like, Mm -hmm. you know, has chronic like histamine kind of experience. And, you know, it's like no matter how much he's got mold exposure, he's got, you know, an immune system situation going on, no matter how much herbal supplement, this, that, or the other thing he's doing, drinking three to four drinks a day, you know, I'm like, we yeah. got to work on that. And that's a hard, it's, it's hard for many people to cut back, but it really is so important, right? Oh, I totally agree. I, and it's so embedded in our culture, yeah. especially if you think about people who are from like 16 to, you know, 32, 35, I, you know, even like that whole span, it, yeah. you know, like social activities are just around alcohol use. And so it's kind of like, again, you add the alcohol to the NSAIDs, right? Because you have a hangover. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, the insults to your gut are like, right? Like it just doesn't end. But no, you're right. It's like as much of the antifungal as or antimicrobial or whatever you're treating is associated with it. It's like the the most important important fact to say is, you know, it is causing leaky gut. Alcohol is directly toxic to your gut and yeah. it is impossible to have true gut healing if you're drinking yes. alcohol. At all, do you think? Or is there like some amount that's feasible or is it a no? I think, you know, like if I'm doing like a treatment, like try to keep it to zero, please. Like you are trying to restore your gut health, right? Once you do, great. You want to start like having a drink, you know, you want to start, you know, incorporating it with food also in moderation. But like when people, you know, when you see like are really suffering and things aren't working, especially like you just mentioned, like that's one thing that we just, we need to take off the table. It's too toxic. It is. And then when you add in like America, so like, let's say we've got a patient, this is like, this is like actually like a, a true situation. We got a, yeah. we got a client with definite like fungus issues. I've got him on a fung, we're working, you know, the diet, but he's drinking and he's drinking American wines. Right. So now we've got this yeast situation with the wine already adding to the situation and we've got chemicals and pesticides and antifungals and all this other stuff from the, from the farming, right? It's just like the chemicals. And I do find that some people's microbiomes and just people in general are more sensitive to chemicals. Some people are more sensitive to chemical exposure, um, whether that be weight gain or, you know, allergies or sensitivities or whatever. Um, it's just, I feel like it's kryptonite, right? Between 
the extra wine. I'm like, please don't drink wine. At least drink up some liquor if you're going to do it. Um, yeah. And or if you have to drink wine, let's go for Northern European or European of sorts yeah. because they use fewer chemicals and pesticides, right? Yeah, I agree. I try to say, you know, the sulfite free, you know, right? Because mm. that usually really helps. It usually helps with um, the histamine yeah. intolerance with alcohol, but histamine really is like inherent to alcohol. So again, like if you're having histamine problems, alcohol is just not your friend. Um, no. But no, you're right. It Geography matters, farming matters, soil matters. I mean, at, there's so many layers. So, so many layers. Many layers. All of it, right? Like layers of an onion. I know the um, the alcohol the alcohol conversation is always difficult, and I do think we're seeing more and more and more. And we've known this in the health community, but like, really, less is more. So if you're out yeah. there and you're listening and you're like, I just don't feel like I can give it all up, as I say to clients all the time, try to drink it when it matters, whenever that actually is, instead of having it be part of your day to day, because I think that that can go a long way. Um, mm -hmm. but this histamine thing, when we're talking or when I'm talking to clients and I'm sure you as well, you know, my strategy is always like, let's try and just squash the histamine overproduction as much as possible, as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it can take time to get to the root cause as to what's going on. But, mm -hmm. you know, they say that, and I love your input. They say that, you know, the more histamine overproduction we have, the more leaky gut we're at risk for. So yeah, it's so it's it's one of those things where it's bi-directional, right? Mm -hmm. Because leaky gut and porous channels in the gut lining will activate more mast cells to produce histamine. And so it's kind of like, well, so what's causing the leaky gut? Is it only histamine or is it something else? Is it alcohol? Is it mm -hmm. right? Is it alcohol? Is it emulsifiers in your food? Is it NSAIDs, right? Is it just pure dysbiosis from antibiotics or what have you? So so definitely there's the question of like, there's, I, I feel like there's usually something else there and SIBO is like a pretty common, you know, other co-player, but then, yeah. But then like once you've got the mast cells that are activated, you know, secreting all that histamine, I mean, this is, this is one of those things, again, that's just being studied as far as like, you know, in, in the GI world, but it causes gastritis, it causes reflux, causes diarrhea, it causes all this GI, you know, all these GI issues. And I, I would suspect there's definitely a contribution to then propagating. Thanks so much for listening to the first part of our conversation with Dr. Elena Ivanina. Stay tuned for part two. As always, thanks guys for listening to the Wealth Fuel podcast. You can catch more information on social media, follow Isabel Smith Nutrition, and of course, also the Wealth Fuel podcast. For information about how we work, what we're doing, and for all the content we have on our website, go to isabelsmithnutrition.com, or you can go to LinkedIn bio in Isabel Smith Nutrition and get all the info there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for next week's great episode.